0: That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig and on this edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about some spooky stuff. Now, I know, I know, I missed last week, but fear not, since this is October, I got a lot of spooky stuff to tell you. But first, as always, let's do some shoutouts. That's right, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs go out to Aaron, Aaron, ah, monsters! Or is it, ah, monsters. I don't know, but that's what it says. And they're a patron, so that's what you get to hear. Ah, monsters, I love it. Allie, Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, Ariel, Austin, Autumn, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Cole, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Drake, Edgar, Elliot, Erica, Fabian, Harley, Harvey, Heidi, J-Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Joshua, that's Joshua Lehman and Joshua Merman, two awesome guys. Uh, Judy, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Kyle, Laura Pitts, Laura Rutho, hi, Laura McCune, hey, sorry, I'll get back to you, I promise, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay Hahn, the best, M Caballero, Maggie, hey Maggie, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Peaches the Cat, love Peaches the Cat, ooh, Ah Monsters and Peaches the Cat need to get together, not that I want... A monster to eat Peaches the Cat. That's not what I'm saying at all. Rachel Reed, Richard Rose, Sage, Sarah, Sarah. And I'm gonna stop right here for a second because I have a new patron. This patron is a very, very good buddy of mine. Love going over to his house, love hanging out with him. He's the nicest, coolest guy, and he's supporting me now. And I can't thank him enough. So a special shout out to Sean Bishop. The one, the only, Sean Bishop, you are the best buddy. Love ya. Shelley, Stacy, Stacy, Sonny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. I just went out with them uh, over the past weekend. It was fantastic. I'll tell you more about that later. Travis, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Once again, the coolest group of people, the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac. And you know what? I'm going to put it in here. I was going to save it for a little bit later, but I actually put it right here. A special shout-out to David Oman. David Oman of the Omen House. If you don't know the Omen House or who David Oman is, you would got to go back and listen to the interview episode I'd done with, I've done with him. It was fantastic. Um, well, David, he's at the house at the end of Cielo Drive. If you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know Cielo Drive. If you know anything about Charles Manson, you know about Cielo Drive. Well, David lives right on Cielo Drive, and he has a brand-new book about the experiences that have happened at his house, his own personal mansion on Cielo Drive. I'm going to do a follow-up episode uh, interview, I should say, with David coming up very soon. It's going to be a bonus October episode. But it seems that his house is more haunted than ever, and he has compiled a bunch of encounters in this awesome book that I am actually holding in my left hand. And that book is called Ghosts of Cielo Drive, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate and the Spirits of the Omen House. Now, you can go to ghostofceielodrive.com to buy the book. And for all you patrons listening, I got, when I was at his house for the um, the book release party, he had a great book release party and he invited me. It was very nice. Um, I went with a couple of friends of mine. And uh, I got a couple of, I got a copy of the book for myself. And then I bought a copy of the book. He signed it. I'm going to be giving it to one of my patrons. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out some kind of raffle on patreon.com paranormalalmanac paranormal almanac. So, one of you patrons will be winning The Ghost of Yellow Drive, The Afterlife of Sharon Tate and the Spirits at the Omen House. Spirits of the Omen House, sorry. And it is a fantastic book. Uh, My buddy Sean Bishop, I was just talking about, uh, he actually got a... He went with me to David's house. Uh, It was Sean, Kelly, and a couple other friends of mine, Phil and Lauren. And uh, they seemed to have a good time. Uh, They really enjoyed the house. But uh, but Sean, he's more open, I guess you'd say, or more sensitive. Uh, Spooky stuff happens around him is what I'm trying to get to. And there were some funky stuff that seemed to happen around Sean at the house. It's absolutely phenomenal house. If you get the chance, David does open it up for paranormal investigations every now and then. If you get the chance, you have to go and check it out. But like I said, I've got a copy of this book. Sean read it, said it's a fantastic book. I'm in the middle of reading it. I'm loving it so far. It is a really, really well done book. So if you want a chance at winning a copy of the book, you gotta become a patron. Or if you want to buy a copy of the book, that's All Alrighty, with that, let's get right into paranormal news. Ghosting team is the night. Strange objects fly through the sky. Shadow people are spending the night again. I got children knock on my door. A portal to hell opens in my room. Time travel men say the world is changing soon. Oh, hold on a second. I've got something to do for Paranormal News. Give me one second here. Okay, so the amazing Paranormal News bumper music that you just heard was by a gentleman named Buzz Lee. He is fantastic. I love his work. This one especially. I I played it for the first time on the 100th episode. It's great. It's amazing. So I want to do a little shout out for Buzz Lee. He has a SoundCloud account, that's soundcloud.com slash buzzlee08, and that's buzlee 8 He goes by the project name, The Bargain Basement Butterflies. It's a free download, if you guys want to go there, to soundcloud.com slash buzzlee, B-U-Z, only one zbuzlee B-U-Z-L-E-E-0-8. The project name? The Bargain Basement Butterflies, he's going to give you a free download of that amazing Paranormal Almanac Bumper Music, News Bumper Music. Uh, He's fantastic. Seriously, do what you can to support the artists that are making this show a better show. And by that, I mean this gentleman right here, Buzz Lee. And Harvey Woodlawn as well. Find Harvey Woodlawn on Tumblr, go and buy a copy of his fantastic interview I can't thank either of these gentlemen enough, and I want to make sure, any chance I get, I do a shout out for these guys. So once again, soundcloud.com slash buzzlee08. And he has so much good stuff on here, holy crap. He's got 187 tracks on here. I'm just going to pick one at random, and I hope he doesn't mind that I'm playing it a little bit, because he's awesome. The circumstances Okay. That was just a sample. It's a track called Given. I love this track. It reminds me of classic Depeche Mode. Please take that as the biggest compliment that I can give you. Oh, actually, never mind. He says he's gleefully inspired by Kraftwerk, Erasure, OMD, The Lightning Seeds, Depeche Mode, Howard Jones, The Cure, Laurie Anderson, and a host of other terrific artists old and new. You, sir, are correct. That is very Depeche Mode. I love everything about that. But he's got, like I said, he's got 187 tracks. He's a fantastic artist. Please, please, make sure you support the artist. He deserves to have all the support you can give him because he is fantastic and he wrote that amazing Paranormal News bumper music. All right, with that, let's actually get in to Paranormal News. The first story on Paranormal News, Canadian Mint releases UFO-themed glow-in-the-dark coin. Over 50 years ago, on the night of October 4th, strange lights appeared over the sky of a small Canadian fishing village. Witnesses watched as the lights flashed and then dive towards the dark waters off the coast of Nova Scotia. Now, what some believe to have been a UFO sighting, like I believe, has been commemorated by the Royal Canadian Mint. The Mint has released a collector's coin that tells the story of a unique and mysterious event, and the scene on the -the glow-in-the-dark coin depicts a specific moment described by various eyewitnesses. After seeing four strange flashing lights in the offshore night sky, They spotted an object 60 feet in length, flying low, which dropped down at a 45-degree angle. It then made a bright splash as it hit the water, according to a Defense Department memo about the incident. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which had received numerous calls, reported a plane crash in the harbor. Along with local fishermen, they tried to reach the object before it sank. Now, Canadians... not Canadians. Now, Canada's Defense Department later conducted an underwater search of the area, where the object was seen entering the water, but failed to locate any evidence of an object. The story continues. Lori Wickens, who was 17 at the time of the incident, was the first Shag Harbor resident. That's right, I'm talking about the Shag Harbor incident. If you don't know about it, I believe it was on a patron episode. But anyhow, she was there. And she says she loves the new coin. And I gotta say, it is incredibly cool. Mint spokesman Alex Reeve Alex Reeves said the coin is definitely one of the top performers and has sold out on their website. It had a limited run of $4,000 and retailed for $129.95. So if you want to find the coin, you're going to have to go to eBay or hopefully someone sells you one. But I got to say, this coin is bitching. I wish I would have gotten one in time. But I wanted to let you guys know about this because anytime something like this comes out, that talks about a specific UFO incident or UFOs in general, it gets us that much closer to disclosure. Okay, up next in paranormal news, the UFO seekers flocking to a remote Thai hilltop in search of Buddhist aliens. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's probably on like Buddhistaliens.org or gov or something stupid like that. No, actually not. It's on a few news sites, including this one from CNN. The hilltop in central Thailand is tracking UFO seekers, is attracting UFO seekers who believe extraterrestrials hover above a large Buddha statue, send telepathic communiques, walk across nearby sugarcane fields, and use a crocodile-infested lake as a portal from their planets. Those planets, Pluto and Loku. Hey look, if aliens are saying that Pluto is a planet, we should start saying that Pluto is a planet again. They would know. They've been there. Or they're from there, apparently. Though it may sound like science fiction, a small group of individuals claims messages from aliens arriving in spaceships include plenty of traditional religious teachings, too, leading them to believe they're actually Buddhist. It's all happening three hours by road or rail north of Bangkok in Nakhon Sawan, which translates to City of Heaven. Now, they say without all the UFO hype, it's just a small, laid-back little town, but followers believe that if you meditate on Kao, Kala Hill, outside of Nakan Sawan, you can hear the talkative silver creatures as voices in your head speaking whatever language your thoughts usually chatter. They do offer a disclaimer saying there's no guarantee you'll see UFOs or aliens, which are described as unpredictable, speaking or appearing spontaneously and disappearing after a few hours. Now here's the problem. Government officials are growing very alarmed because there's a lot of UFO seekers crowding onto Kala Hill to see and talk with aliens, possibly endangering the area's official protected forest area status. Now, visitors are allowed to climb to the top of the hill and view the large Buddha statue and nearby Buddha footprint, which which are places of public worship. But the law forbids anyone from living or staying overnight in such zones, including previous UFO seekers who pitch tents at the site. In August, about 40 officials, including members of the forestry department, disbanded a group of Thai enthusiasts at the top of Kaukala and petitioned a court to ban mass gatherings there. On September 20th, about 30 police and forestry officials confronted Wasana, nope, not even saying that last name, Wasana, lead campaigner for the extraterrestrials, and about 60 other UFO enthusiasts. The group, wearing white clothing, planned to have a video made while members meditated top of the hill after sunset in hopes of mind-melding with the aliens. Not wanting to be arrested, the UFO followers were grouped at the bottom of the hill on private property, meditated for a few hours, and departed. As for the origins of the hill's supposed attractiveness to extraterrestrials, believers say it all began in 1997 when retired Sergeant Major Churd... Oh... Chuan Samnon... Okay. Deep in the Buddhist meditation at home, received mental messages from what he insisted were aliens. He told his family, they scoffed, I asked my father to tell the aliens to show themselves, his daughter said, and the next day, the aliens sent energy to spin my brother and brother-in-law. She says the two men were yanked up from the living room sofa and spun simultaneously like whirling dervishes out of the house and into the yard. That's pretty fucked up, aliens. Look, she was the one who said, I don't believe in you. So why don't you not spin the brothers? Why don't you spin her? But they said that the brother-in-law says, I felt like my legs and arms had to spin. I could not control myself for four or five minutes. I didn't feel afraid. We both spun outside. And then there's a photo of him being spun. Okay. Uh, through an upstairs window, Wasana's sister-in-law says she saw a UFO. is about 10 or 15 meters long at treetop level. They said, I felt dizzy, but when the UFO spun me, I didn't feel dizzy at all. Before my father died in 2000, he taught us how to communicate with the aliens. Today, she says that more than 100 other ties have the ability after practicing with her. Look, I'm I'm not saying this isn't real. I'm not saying it's, you know, BS. I would love to go there, learn how to speak to some aliens, and actually talk to some aliens. I don't know if I want to go spinning around in and outside her house, but besides that, sounds pretty damn cool. The story goes on to say that most alien encounters are reported near the family's home on the outskirts of Nakan Sawan at, Kau, at Kau Kala, Kau Kala Hill amid the sugarcane fields and Buang Borafet Lake, which villagers warn is crocodile infested. The aliens are described as slender, little, silvery humanoids. And it keeps going. I mean, this story really keeps going. But you get the gist of it. If you guys want to go see some aliens, you want to hear them talk to you, if you want to go buy a crocodile-infested water and then spin around like a madman outside some Thai person's house, have I got the place for you. Up next in paranormal news, viral video of unidentified lights off North Carolina's Outer Banks has people questioning aliens or military. Now, I have the video right here. I'll make sure I put it up on Facebook, I swear. I promise, I promise, I promise. Hold on, I'm going to get to the video while I'm reading this. So the video of a mysterious group of lights in the sky captured off of North Carolina's outer banks by a man visiting the area has gone viral on YouTube, sparking the classic debate, was it aliens or was it military? Is that really the classic debate? Is that like every day someone's like, oh, I don't know, man, is it aliens or is it military? But anyhow, the video entitled Real UFO Sighting, well, it's got to be real. It says it right there. Oh, Jesus Christ, shut up. Spooky music, spooky music. The video entitled, Real UFO Sighting, so you know it's real, was originally posted to the YouTube account of Williams Guy on September 28th and shows what appears to be 14 glowing lights hovering motionless above the water. Which, I gotta say, that's a pretty apt description. I'm looking at the video right now. 14 lights. One, two, three. Yeah, 14 lights hovering above the water. Yep. Now, the 30-second video shows Guy filming an empty ocean and sky on a boat well, with the lights out of frame, saying, look, nothing in the sky at all. Then all of a sudden, Guy turns his camera to the glowing orbs that don't appear to be moving at all. Anyone tell me what that is? Guy continues in the video as onlookers can be heard in the background giving off sounds of shock and amazement at the spectacle. It's 31 seconds long. Hold on. Oh, wait, hold on. Pause. Hey, Guy, if you ever film a video again, film it in panoramic. Not landscape. Come on, buddy. That's UFO spotting or video filming 101. Come on, dude. All right. Nothing in the sky at all. Then all of a sudden. Bam. What is that? Anybody tell me what that is? We're in the middle of the ocean. He's in the middle of the ocean. On a ferry. On a ferry. Nothing around. Nothing around. And done. I got to say that uh, Guy is uh, not very descriptive on his stuff. Well, actually, that's not true. He said, hey, look, there's nothing in the sky. Then over here, what is that? So I guess he's very descriptive on the most baseline level ever. He goes on to say, I'm pretty sure I know what those lights are. Oh, I'm sorry. A former Marine based at the 2nd Marine Air Wing in Cherry Point, North Carolina says, I'm pretty sure I know what those lights are. The base is roughly 125 miles west of Outer Bank. We used to regularly drop flares out of the back of a plane in the evenings for military exercises in that area. They are one million candle power each, so they're pretty bright, and can be seen from far away and floated down slow as they hung from a parachute. I don't know if those are flares, but it might be. You tell me, what do you guys think? Do you think these are flares? Do you think these are UFOs? Do you think it's a reflection of the sun off the ocean? I don't know. You tell me what you think. Okay, up next in paranormal news, Boy 4 tells Mum... He remembers her miscarriage when he died and returned. A mother has shared her shock after her son claimed to remember experiencing the miscarriage she had before he was born. So that's pretty much it for that story. She says that, um, explaining how he died in her tummy and became an angel before returning to her. Kind of a very cool story. Unfortunately, it's very short, but, uh, that's very neat. I like those kinds of stories. So this kid remembers his miscarriage and then, uh, dies and returns. Up next in paranormal news, mysterious Chilean fireballs weren't meteorites. So what were they? Flashes lit up the sky over Chile last week, some even causing fires on the ground, but a new report has found that the origin of these fireballs is a mystery. The Chilean National Geology and Mining Services released a report last weekend, the result of the analysis from visiting seven of the charred sites where the objects touched down in the town of Dalcahu, These sites contained no evidence of a fallen meteorite, according to the report. Experts initially suggested that the object or objects could have been a meteorite or space debris, but local residents said that they hadn't seen one or heard anything that would have been associated with a falling meteorite, and there were no hints of meteorites or meteors at the site, according to the National Geology and Mining Service. So they said, yes, it might have been rocket components or other kind of space junk, but those usually still are there when you go and take a look. And when they got the soil samples, they said they couldn't find anything that would explain it by saying it was space junk or rocket components or anything like that. But they're going to have an analysis of those soil samples in the next few weeks. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll find out what exactly it was, those fireballs that fell uh, fell over Chile. Up next in Paranormal News, can you tell I took a week off? This is how much paranormal news is coming in just one week. Now this isn't necessarily paranormal, but it's very, very cool, so I wanted to add it. NASA's InSight mission tunes in to the strange sounds of Mars. It goes on to say that Mars is full of subtle noises, and thanks to the InSight mission, we can finally hear them. The stationary probe seismometer is sensitive enough to pick up the most gentle of vibrations. It's now been listening for earthquakes on Mars. Wouldn't those be Mars quakes? Yes, they would. Come on, people. Do some research. But they said we've also picked up the sounds of Mars. Let me click on these intriguing sounds. Okay, that's just music. That's more music. Oh, here we go. Here we go. You guys ready? It says to put on a headphones for the best experience. And it kind of describes what's happening. Like, that's a wind gust. That's the arm moving. Arm move. Dinks caused by friction and seismometer. Arm move. Ah, arm move. Okay, so it goes on for about a minute and 35 seconds. It's very, very cool. I will also put that onto the uh, Facebook page. But I just wanted to show you guys that because we're listening to Mars. Paranormal or not, we're listening to the surface of Mars. That's freaking amazing to me. Okay. Up next in Paranormal News, Haunted Island filled with creepy dolls included in Mexico's Day of the Dead Tour package. I've actually talked about this island before. It's called the Island of the Dolls. It's in Mexico. But this Halloween, they're going to include a visit to it in a Halloween tour. The spooky island is known to locals not for just being supposedly haunted, but for another truly creepy aspect. The area is reportedly covered in dolls hanging from many trees. Many of the dolls are allegedly missing various body parts, which isn't all that unusual for toys that have been left out in the wild. The dolls are known to move their heads and arms. There are even claims that they can be heard whispering to one another. It is a very spooky island. It's also covered in spiders. So just know that if you actually want to go to this, it is covered in ginormous spiders and spider webs. But a press release about the island's history says that the company running the tour, Flashpack, explained that the legend has had it that a long time ago, the caretaker found a young girl who had drowned in one of the island's canals. The caretaker took a doll that was, hung nearby, that was nearby and hung it up from a tree out of respect. The caretaker then allegedly found himself haunted by the young girl's ghost and started hanging dolls everywhere to appease her. So this tour, which is set to take travelers through central Mexico, is stopping at another non-doll haunted location as well, at other non-doll haunted locations as well. Travelers will be provided with what the company calls a unique take on ancient Mexican tradition, including the celebration of Dia de las Muertes. The trip runs from October 26th to November 3rd. And, uh, how do you get to it? Let's see, how do you, how do you do it? Uh, a link would have been great. Um, really? Aha! Here we go. If you want to know more about it. Alright, so this one-off adventure runs from Saturday, October 26th through Sunday, November 3rd, and costs $3,000. Now, that price includes all accommodations, local transport, meals, and an expert guide. Bookings can be made at flashpack.com, the Sacred Mexico Celebrate the Day of the Dead Tour. So, $3,309. If you got it burning a hole in your pocket and you want to go to a creepy island and a bunch of other cool stuff in Mexico for a haunted tour, this seems to be the only place that you can do it. Once again, that location is flashpack.com, and it's the Sacred Mexico Celebrate the Day of the Dead Tour. $3,309. Oh, it's a nine-day tour. I guess that's not that bad. You're going to see a hell of a lot of Mexico, so... It may seem a bit pricey, but it seems like it's a fairly uh, intense tour. And finally, in paranormal news, if Planet Nine is actually a black hole, it completely changes how we understand our universe that's right a team of theoretical physicists have proposed that the mysterious planet thought to orbit the Sun at the edge of the solar system may actually be a primordial black hole so a lot of people think that planet 9 is exactly where like UFOs come from and where aliens live and everything blah 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 planet 9 is the the mystery dark planet the one that's gonna eventually destroy us as opposed or as as proposed by some crazy um apocalypse theory or what you, whatever you want to call it but they're saying planet 9 might not be a planet at all it might be a primordial black hole bursts of gamma rays may be the key to identifying whether this is primordial black hole even exists they do say scientists do say strange things are happening at the edge of our solar system a number of large rocky bodies mostly asteroids and comets in the Kuiper belt are hurtling along at an odd orbit perpendicular to most of the orbits in the solar system. There's very likely something maintaining them on these orbits, says theoretical physicist Jacob Schlotz of Durham University, and that something could be a black hole. Astronomers have long pondered the existence of a a mysterious ninth planet which orbits the sun far beyond Neptune and Pluto. In 2016, Mike Brown and Constantine Batygin, Batygin rattled the scientific community when they published their groundbreaking paper, which proposed the existence of a planetary body in the outer reaches of the solar system. So it's not just a conspiracy theory anymore. It does seem like something's out there. And these guys say it might be a black hole. Now, that doesn't ruin that. Well, how are the aliens coming from there? Well, there's a lot of people that think that black holes are how aliens are navigating through space, basically. They're using them as time vortexes or tunnels so they can get to Earth quicker. Stitch apparently does not agree with that. Okay, buddy, it's cool. Okay, so that about does it for paranormal news. There was a whole lot of paranormal news. Like I said, I can't take a week off without having a ton of paranormal news come up, but that's a good problem to have. So with that, let's talk about some paranormal encounters that resulted in real deaths. You heard that right. Real deaths. Actual people that were either injured or killed from paranormal encounters. And we're going to do that in just a moment because we're going to take a quick break. Alrighty, I hope you guys came back. Like I was saying a minute ago, this episode is all about people that either got injured or died from paranormal encounters. Now, they do seem to be rare. This one took me a little while to kind of put together. But, unfortunately for me and anyone else that does paranormal investigations, they really do seem to happen. Now, when I started investigating this episode, I really wondered if I could even find one that seemed to be true. And quickly I found, well, I found that there are a few unexplained attacks or even deaths that seem to point to something to do with the paranormal. I'm not saying that ghosts are out there killing people, but... Something's going on. Now, this first one on this episode is about Robert Buck Larson, or Larson, but I think it's Larson, who I really feel like I talked about on here before, but I couldn't find him in my list of episodes, so I'm just going to say, I'm just going to tell you the story anyway, I guess. I really thought I talked about this guy, but I guess I haven't. All right, so let's get to Robert. He went to the Velisca Axe Murder House in November of 2014 with his mom and his stepdad. Hold on, let's take a side journey and talk about the Velisca Axe murder. So for this part of the story, we have to go back to June 10th, 1912. It was a normal night, the entire Moore family were sleeping. Now the parents, Joe and Sarah, were asleep in their room upstairs, and their four children were in a room just down the hall. Also sleeping in the house were two girls, the Stillinger sisters, who had come over for a sleepover or whatever, and then fell asleep in the guest room on the first floor. So we have a full house of sleeping people, June 10th, 1912. So far nothing spooky, but then shortly after midnight, a stranger entered a stranger entered through an unlocked door. In one hand he held an oil lamp, and in the other Alright, well, you guys should be able to guess. I mean, a minute ago I called it the Velisca Axe Murder House. So yeah, he had an axe. Alright, so this soon-to-be axe murderer goes upstairs, goes into the parents' room, and, well, starts killing, basically. He hit the dad 30 times with the axe. To give you an idea of how brutal these murders were, just the dad alone, he hit 30 times with the axe. Then the mom. Then the kids' room upstairs. Then the girls sleeping downstairs. Now, before the stranger left, he took the house keys, locked the door, and was gone. Now, the next morning, the neighbors thought it was really odd there were no children running around and no noise coming from the house, so they called the brother of the now-dead dad who entered the house and discovered everyone bludgeoned to death. The police investigation is when the story really gets weird, though. After murdering the Moors and the rest of the the still-injured sisters or whatever, the killer covered the parents' heads with sheets and the child's faces with clothing. He then went through each room in the house, covering all of the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. At some point, he took a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room, along with a keychain, and they also found a bowl of water with blood in it where the killer had washed his hands. What was he doing with that two-pound piece of uncooked bacon? Don't, don't know. Couldn't tell you. Want to get weirder? Okay. Well, the small town quickly heard about the horror scene at the Moore's house, and over 100 townspeople toured the home while the police were doing their investigation. That's right, 100 local townspeople just started walking room to room and looking at the bodies. Now, depending where you get your info, One of the townspeople even took a piece of the dad's skull as a souvenir. Now, I seriously hope that part isn't true. Can't prove it is. Can't prove it's not. Now, I get that it was 1912. There's not a lot on TV because there is no TV. But if I heard that a local guy that I probably knew because it's a small flippin' town in 1912 and his family were all butchered, I wouldn't go, well, we got to, honey, get your shoes on. We got to go see this. You know, the Moors face smashed in 30 times by an axe. Come on, let's go. Alright, so investigators continued to receive confessions in the years after the killings, including one from a prisoner in 1931 in Detroit, who claimed that an unknown businessman had offered to pay him $5,000 to kill the Moore family. Ultimately, though, each clue and confession led to dead ends, so this murder was never solved. The case ran cold, the house was boarded up. In fact, no sale was ever attempted for a very, very long time. Now, eventually, the house did sell, and then years later, it was reverted back to its 1912 ways and opened as a rental of sorts. Now, that's right, you heard this correctly. To this day, people can rent the house out for $428 a night, mostly for paranormal investigations. And those investigators say that this house is a hotbed for paranormal activity. You can hear children's laughter and voices are heard by many, many investigators. Now, the investigators also play ball with something. The children, ghosts. Something is playing ball with paranormal investigators at the Veliska murder, axe murder house. Now, they also see orbs, bullshit, and mists and shape are seen in photos taken there. The owner of the house says, I have notebooks from just the last two years full of what overnight experiences people have had. Very few of them go away without experiencing something. So it seems like if you really, really, really want to see a ghost or play with a ghost or play ball with a ghost, this is the house to go to. It's only $428 a night, but I jumped right past 2014. So let's get back to what I was talking about a minute ago. That's right. Robert Buck Lorson. So Buck shows up on November 7th, 2014. He had a reservation for that night to do an amateur paranormal investigation with his mom and stepdad. It was just before 1 a.m. when according to Montgomery County Sheriff Joe Sampson, he says, "From my understanding, Robert was alone in the northwest bedroom and the rest of the party was outside." Now he had called for help on their mobile two-way radios. When his mom and dad got to the when his mom and stepdad got to the room, they found Robert lying on the ground stabbed in the chest they said it was a self-inflicted knife wound to his chest that's right self-inflicted knife wound boom right to the chest he was airlifted to creighton university medical center where he remained in intensive care for several days and then released to this day we don't know why he stabbed himself if it was him if it was indeed self-inflicted we don't know why from everything i can find online He has never explained what happened and has refused to talk about anything about that night. Now, it hasn't happened since then. So if you really want a great place to do a paranormal investigation, I'd say go there. My only tip would be leave knives at home. Oh, and don't stab yourself in the chest. Look, I'm not saying a ghost stabbed him in the chest. I also don't understand why he even brought a knife to a paranormal investigation in the first place. And who knows, maybe he tried to stab a ghost and the ghost retaliated. I just don't know what happened. But I can say, I have never heard of anyone else stabbing themselves in the chest. Ever. If he's trying to commit suicide, that seemed like a really shitty way to go. And why would he call for help right after he stabbed himself in the chest? A lot. And I mean a lot of websites say that something inhabited him, causing him to stab himself in the chest with a knife. Something dark, something paranormal, but he's the only one who's gonna say, and he ain't talking. Okay, up next is another odd story that doesn't really have a resolution to it either. Conspiracy theorists really put on the tinfoil hats for this one. I'll try to tell this story without a lot of the nonsense that surrounds it, and trust me, There is a lot of bullshit when it comes to this next story. His name was Gaurav Tiwari. He was a leading paranormal investigator in India. To give you an idea how good this guy was or how active this guy was, he went on over 6,000 paranormal investigations. Just Gaurav himself went on over 6,000 paranormal investigations. This guy was a rock star in the paranormal community and... A little of the tinfoil hat uh, stuff already; it might have killed him. For you see, on July seventh, twenty sixteen, something strange happened. Now, Gorov's dad, Gorov's dad, says of the incident that his son was feeling, quote, a negative force was pulling him towards it. A negative force was pulling him towards it. Now, Gorov also told his wife about a month prior to his death, saying, quote, he was trying to control it but seemed unable to do so. His family all thought he was just working too hard, and that when he would finally rest, everything would be better. Spoiler, it wasn't. His father says that he was answering emails while his mother was drinking coffee in the living room. Guarov's wife, Arya, heard something like a loud noise from the bathroom. She went to check on Gwarov, and started knocking on the door, but there was no answer she was banging on the door open it the door's locked she's trying to open it it was just stuck after an hour of this hint that's way too long to wait his wife and her in-laws broke down the locked bathroom door now when they rushed in they found guarov dead on the bathroom floor with a thin black line running across his throat he was rushed to a hospital but pronounced dead Police said there were no signs that anyone else was in the bathroom, and officially, his death was ruled suicide. Now again, I'm not saying a ghost killed him, and, to be serious for a second here, sadly, suicide and depression aren't always apparent. He could have been cheerful right up to that moment, and then when he was in there in the bathroom by himself, he might have just succumbed to depression and killed himself. Now, a lot of people in the paranormal community, though, think that he was either killed by a ghost, a demon, or whatever, or that he knew too much about something and was silenced, which, to me, is dumb. Because I like to think I know too much about the paranormal, but I don't think I need to be killed because of it. Who benefits from his death? It just makes no sense. That, that whole tinfoil hat oh he knew something and the government was trying to shut him down or the people or the man or whoever or the illuminati whatever it is was trying to shut him down it just doesn't make any sense to me me personally i think he had a sad moment of depression and just ended his own life i think the way he chose to do it was really odd unusual but again i wasn't in his mindset he did say the only reason i added this one like i said Was he said he felt a negative force was pulling him towards it, and that he was trying to control it, but seemed unable to do so? Was he just talking about depression? I don't know. Was he talking about something dark and paranormal, a ghost, a demon, whatever? I don't know. That one, I just don't know. Okay, this next one is weird and sad. It's about a girl named Estefania Gutierrez, Who, right after she performed a seance in an attempt to contact a classmate who died in a biking accident, well, something bad happened to her. The story goes that a teacher interrupted the seance, and when she did, she saw a weird trail of smoke go right up Estefania's nose and into her mouth. Shortly after, Estefania started experiencing seizures and hallucinations, and started talking about how she saw evil shadows. And if all that wasn't bad enough, She also started barking at her brothers. Okay, let's pause right here. If you know someone that had black smoke go up their nose and in their mouth, then start seeing shit and barking, get them help. Don't wait to see what happens next. Nothing good ever follows that. Case in point, doctors couldn't find anything physically wrong with Estefania, so she lived happily ever after, right? No, she died. Died in her sleep within six months of the seance. Boom. Dead. Over. Again. You know somebody that just starts barking at you? Try to get them a little bit of help. They have black smoke go up their nose and in their mouth, then start seeing weird paranormal shit, then start barking at you? Get them help immediately. Don't wait six months. Nothing good is ever going to come from that. Okay, for this next one... Wait, how are we doing on time? Nah, screw it. I'm going to keep going. Okay, for this next one, we're going to have to go back in time a bit back in time, to 1804, to West London's Hammersmith District, where people started seeing a, quote, terrifying apparition in the graveyard. Just a fun fact, I misspelled graveyard, and it says gravy yard, but I'm pretty sure they were not seeing a terrifying apparition in the graveyard. Okay, so seeing it in the graveyard, the townspeople reported seeing a figure in white, sporting a glass eye and horns who would emerge suddenly from the spooky shadows, wailing, moaning, and writhing before Pastor buyers themselves. I know I've done this already a few times in this episode, but let's pause right here for a second. How do you know that a ghost has a glass eye? I'm not asking you a riddle or a joke or anything like that. I truly want to know how anyone would ever be able to say, hey, that ghost that I just saw, that ghost had a glass eye. Was he... Popping it out and spinning it around and showing it to you or was it spinning like mad eye Moody? How do you know it's a glass eye? Alright, sorry. That was my little tangent there. Okay, back to the story. Now, being that this was 1804, everyone overreacted. A pregnant woman said that she was attacked by the glass-eyed horned ghost and a wagon driver, horse-driven wagon, a wagon driver was so scared driving by the graveyard that he abandoned his horse, his wagon, and the passengers in it, and just made a run for it. Hey, buddy, you were already on a horse. Use that next time. It goes way faster. Now, I don't know who I'm saying this to, because I seriously doubt he's listening to this episode. Uh, Anyhow, so the news spread that the ghost may have been that of a man who had recently killed himself before being buried in the church's cemetery. So people said, we need to have armed patrols to stop this guy from hurting anyone else. They don't explain what happened to the pregnant woman. She said she was attacked. How, they don't say. But as far as I can tell, she's the only one that was bothered by this ghost. But anyhow, the town, yep, they just agreed right to it. And one of those armed patrolmen, a particularly moronic excise officer named Smith, found himself, quote, face to face with the ghost. And again, not being a particularly smart man or rational man, he shot the ghost with a gun yep shot a ghost with a gun spoiler that doesn't work you would need some sort of ghost gun or haunted bullets or look i i don't know i don't know the technology i just know it doesn't exist yet but in a very fucked up scooby-doo kind of way it wasn't a ghost that was shot at all but a guy named thomas millwood who was a plasterer wearing his all-white clothes was laying dead before the cop he's like ah ghost shoots boom dead ah crap it's thomas millwood that's in a nutshell what happened so officer smith was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death which was later reduced to a lifetime of hard labor and thomas millwood's body was brought back to the black lion public house where he is said to haunt it to this day i'm gonna ask you this question because i don't know the answer Was there ever a Hammersmith ghost before Millwood started haunting the Black Lion public house? No idea. But it seems to me that the town had a creepy plasterer, and now it has the ghost of a creepy plasterer. So, good job, buddy. Good job, town. Look, I don't know what to tell you. The Hammersmith ghost was it real. I I don't know. But Thomas Millwood definitely took a bullet for it and got him so pissed off that he decided to haunt the Black Lion Public House. So if you go there, tell him I said hi, and sorry you got shot in the face. Okay, this next one takes place in Alcatraz. Hello everyone, I am a park ranger and I will be leading you on the tour. All of the park rangers here at Alcatraz were at one time guards, myself included. My name is John Johnson, but everyone here calls me Vicky. Will you please follow me? That's right. We're in Alcatraz, and if you haven't been to Alcatraz yet, let me just tell you, it's terrifying. The thought of being in prison there is insane to me, but it's also a really cool, pretty haunted place as well. Now, this story is all about one haunted location in cell block D, known as The Hole. The Hole is said to be the coldest part of the prison, even in summer, to this day. It is 20 to 30 degrees cooler than any other part of Alcatraz and its cells were used for solitary confinement. Give you a little bit backstory. The cells feature a sink, a toilet, and a dim light bulb that was controlled by the guards. Inmates slept on mattresses that were taken away during the day, and it had a shit ton of paranormal activity. They heard sounds in the middle of the night. Floating blue lights and figures were seen often. They heard moaning and the clanking of chains in cells which were known to be unoccupied. The final cell in the hole was called the Oriental and was basically a steel sensory deprivation chamber with only a hole at the bottom. So, you know, now you know how pleasant it was there since the 1940s. But since the 1940s, guards and prisoners saw a ghost of a man in the late 19th century prison clothing that would roam or patrol the hole. Now, this ghost is said to be responsible for the death of an inmate as well. That's because an inmate was thrown in the hole and immediately started screaming that there was somebody with glowing red eyes in there with him. Now, the guards ignored him, and, he, and this inmate, he screamed for hours and then went silent. The next day, he was found dead with a purple face, bulging eyes, and unidentified strangle marks around his throat. The investigation ruled it unexplained and no evidence that the guards killed him was ever found. Mm Mm-hmm, sure. Look, it was the 1940s. The guards could have killed him. Organized crime guys could have killed him. Alcatraz held the worst of the worst. Somebody could have paid off somebody to be in the hole and kill this dude. The bigger question is, why, when he was immediately put in the hole... Did he start screaming about glowing eyes, that somebody was in there with glowing eyes in the hole with him? That part is definitely freaky. Is it paranormal? I personally think yes, but that's because I've been to Alcatraz. I've walked around there. I don't ever want to think about even being put in that hole by myself. It's a terrifying place. It wouldn't shock me at all that some red-eyed demon just freaking killed this dude for no reason. Okay, I know I'm going a little bit long, but whatever, I don't care. This next one is a debunk of a very cool story. It's a very cool story. Now, I know that some people don't like my debunks. In fact, a friend of mine that I took to the Omen House says she doesn't like my podcast because I, quote, ruin all the good stuff. Well, that's not true. I debunk all the bullshit stuff, and what I leave behind is incredible paranormal stuff. My other friend Sean said, and I love this quote, this is like the best quote of Paranormal Almanac I've ever heard. He said, you know, Kurt, Paranormal Almanac is like a paranormal distillery. You distill all the bullshit and the paranormal stuff that's left, that's the good stuff. So thank you, Sean. I do agree. But here's a debunk again of a very cool story, but it's too good to be true of a ghost story. Remember, this one's fake, and it should be very obvious to you that this one's fake, but a ton of websites talk about Carl Pruitt's ghost and swear it's a true story. It's not. Remember that. Okay. So the story of Carl Pruitt's ghost starts in 1938 in Pulaski County, Kentucky. A carpenter by the name of Carl Pruitt is said to have returned home from work to find his wife with another man. Ha! Carl freaks out and strangles his wife while the guy hightails it out of the bedroom window. Now Carl comes to his senses and sees his dead wife at his feet, so he goes over to the dresser, gets his gun out, and offs himself. What's the matter, pal? What is it? <laughs> so he got, uh, where was I? Uh, something, oh yeah, and he offs himself. So Carl's wife's family buried her far away from Carl in another cemetery and apparently Carl's ghost gets all pissy about it. How do we know? Well, visitors to the graveyard began to notice a discoloration on Carl's gravestone that gradually came to resemble a chain across the grave. Why? Who knows? The story never goes into that detail. Okay. So, it becomes an attraction. This chain mark across the grave. 1938, maybe it's a small town. It is definitely a small town. But anyhow... Becomes an attraction. A bunch of kids go to see Carl's fucked up grave. One boy throws a rock at the grave, and a piece of it gets chipped off. Now, I know they mean that he threw a rock at the headstone, but every version of the story says he throws a rock at the grave. That's just shitty storytelling 101. So the boy, James Collins, now he has a name, leaves on his bicycle, and on his way home, he has a freak accident that ends with him dead next to his bike and the bicycle chain wrapped around his neck. Remember, the story you are currently hearing is bullshit. Okay, so the kid's mom immediately says, the ghost of Carl killed my boy. And she takes an axe over to Carl's grave where she smashes his grave into pieces. Again, not his headstone. The stories all say grave. Dum-da-dum-dum-dum. Okay, the next day, Feeling much better about smashing up a random headstone, the mom is killed while she was hanging laundry on a clothesline. That's right, she slips and falls, gets wrapped up in the clothesline, bam, she dead. So someone she knows goes to Carl's grave, and what does he find? That's right, a completely intact headstone with Carl's name on it, dun dun dun, but we aren't done with the bullshit yet. Because a random farmer was riding by the graveyard with his family in a horse-drawn carriage, remember this 1938, when he, for no apparent reason, decides to confront Carl. Because of course he does. The farmer takes out a revolver and shoots several bullets at the gravestone, I'm adding the word gravestone, chipping off a piece once again. Yay! Yay! Obviously, nothing bad happens to the farmer, and Carl's ghost has now been axed and shot. He stays dead, right? Nope. As a result of the gunshots, the horses get spooked and run out of control, causing the carriage to crash. While they're crashing, the reins wrap around the farmer's neck. Yeah, you know what bullshit happens next. Blah, blah, blah. Gravestones intact the next day. Again. Don't shoot at ghosts. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Now I got to add, don't fucking shoot a ghost. It doesn't do anything except piss him off. But this bullshit continues. Now we have a local congressman who was contacted and he dispatches two police officers to the grave site to look into the matter of what? I don't know. How are they supposed to look into this, you might ask? Well, don't, because it doesn't matter. It's all fake anyway. So the police arrive at the grave and began to look for evidence. And they took several photographs of the site. While there... One of the officers began to laugh and joke about the ghost and his supposed curse. Mm Mm-hmm, because that's what you do. Now, as he's leaving, the officer noticed a light in the rearview mirror of the police cruiser coming coming from the direction of Pruitt's grave. Now, he initially assumed it was just a reflection, but as he drove further away, the light grew closer. The light continued to pursue the police car. No matter how fast the officer went, his partner pleaded with him to slow down. But the officer sped up and lost control of the car, crashing it between two posts linked together by a chain. Yeah, I know. What happened? Well, that officer was decapitated by the chain that had been hanging between the two posts, that some moron goes out at night, yada yada yada, he's dead, headstone's fine. Okay. Now in the story, everyone says fuck everything about Carl and his dumb gravestone, and that cemetery, and every member of the community who had family members laid to rest in that cemetery had the remains moved elsewhere. So all that remained was the grave of Carl Pruitt. Ha! Take that, Carl! And in 1958, it was destroyed once and for all when a strip mining operation decimated the grave and the land around it, thus ending the curse of Carl Pruitt's ghost. Okay, fun fact time there was never a Carl Pruitt. There was an Enos C. Pruitt, P-R-E-W-I-T-T, but not a Carl Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T. And Carl, or I'm sorry, an Enos C. Pruitt did die from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the brain at 43 years old on November 7th, 1910. Now, remember, it's supposed to happen in 1938, the ghost of Carl Pruitt. That's when he comes home, sees his wife, and starts this whole bullshit. But the only person that even remotely matches is an Enos C. Pruitt. It's around Louisville, Kentucky. So, there's the kernel of truth to this bullshit story. There were no strange murders. No little boy named, what was his name? I already forgot it. James Collins was killed. There was no bicycle chain around his neck. No cops were killed either dead or investigating the graves for that matter. No cops were ever called to investigate a grave. No farmer, no random dude, no anyone matching any of the descriptions of the deaths in this bullshit story. I checked every newspaper in the area. Around the Times. Couldn't find anything. In fact, a writer who tried to confirm this story couldn't find anything either. That's because no part of the story was true. And this this writer himself, he went to the fucking town itself. It was supposed to have happened in. All signs point to this story being made up and printed in Troy Taylor's book, Beyond the Grave, published in 2000. A bunch of bullshit stories. So, if you go to a website and they say that the ghost of Carl Pruitt is a true story, you're on a shitty website because it's a very easy story to debunk with just a little bit of research. I don't have special tools at my demand. I just did the research. I checked it out. It didn't happen. Carl Pruitt never existed. Alrighty, with that, let's get to another story. This one is not bullshit as far as I can tell. I can't debunk it as far as I can tell. It happened in mid-1800s in South Yorkshire in the United Kingdom. That's when a woman named Hannah Rallinson was recorded as being dead from fright. That's right, dying from fright itself. That's because her and her husband had recently moved into new rooms in the Sheffield and were introduced to a woman named Harriet Ward. Now, one day, Harriet had been going down in the cellar of the Rawlinson's home when she screamed Claiming to see a ghost of a terrifying, blood-stained old woman. This happened five separate occasions to this poor woman over the next 24 hours. She saw it in her sleep, and she saw it when she was there at the house. So, Hannah Rallison and her husband, and the Mormon congregation that they were part of, decided there must be something to this Campo Lane ghost as it became to be known. They decided that it must have been a victim of a murder who had been buried under the cellar floor. So they take away the flagstones and nothing. Now, Hannah Rallinson did go down to the cellar later and said, and what she saw in the cellar steps caused her to fall into a dead faint. Now, it was reported in a local newspaper that she had seen a woman in white who had rushed at her before vanishing. All right, so Hannah was taken to another room on the first floor where her friends tried to revive her, Now, she briefly regained consciousness. She said she saw a ghost and complete with gashes around its neck and the bloodstained nightgown, the same thing that Harriet had been talking about. Now, apparently, in that brief interaction, the ghost told her, Hey, my name is Elizabeth Johnson, and I was murdered by William Dawson, her nephew, over a century earlier. So, a century ago, this poor woman, Elizabeth Johnson was killed by William Dawson, her nephew. So the ghost went on to say that Hannah and her family had to leave the house, that it was marked with her blood. Now, Hannah Rallinson died the next day. Her death certificate actually says, cause of death is sudden death in a fit believed to have been brought on by fright. That's right, this woman sees a ghost and died the next day of fright. Again, I can't debunk it. I wasn't there. I know nothing. A lot of great details. But that one, yeah, I can get get behind that. I can kind of believe that one. Okay, finally, this one, it's not about a ghost, but it's still really fucking weird. There was a conspiracy theorist who was found dead in Poland just days after he texted his mom instructing her to, quote, investigate should anything happen to him. Now, I've said it here before, but let me say it again. This is Kurt speaking. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Investigate my death. I don't care if I die from old age, investigate the shit out of my death. I don't wanna die. If I die very soon from now, investigate someone, avenge me and investigate my death. Doesn't have to be a patron, you just be any listener. Okay, so this conspiracy theorist, his name was Max Spears. He was 39 years old. He was a paranormal expert who was found dead on a sofa in Poland where he had gone to give a talk about conspiracy theories and UFOs and especially expose a black magic ring. Don't know what that is or means, and I don't want to know. But apparently, he was said to be probing into the lives of well-known figures in politics, business, and entertainment. Again, don't know, don't want to know. All right, the police and doctors said that his death was from natural causes, even though reports say that he vomited a black liquid right before dying. Nothing about that sentence seems like natural causes to me. This was not the 20s. This was not the 30s. This was very, very recent. How recent? Let me find out. I can't recall. This was July 16th, 2016. Like I said, not the 20s, not the 30s, not the 1800s. July 2016. Okay, so his girlfriend said, quote, All I have is a death certificate from the Polish authorities that it was from natural causes, but no post-mortem was done. So how can they tell that? They're also refusing to release any paperwork about it to me because, absurdly, I don't have his written permission. Which, yeah, that's just dumb. How the hell is she gonna get the dead guy to write something to her saying, yeah, please investigate my death. I'm just going to write that on a bunch of piece of paper. So whoever wants to investigate the shit out of my death, look around my house, look in my Ghost of Cielo Drive copy of my, that my copy of that book, there'll be a piece of paper saying, please investigate the shit out of my death. Okay. So in a text to his mom, just days before his death, Max wrote, quote, your boy's in trouble. If anything happens to me, investigate. Yet mom seems to have dropped the ball and no real investigation has happened. Now, conspiracy theorists say that UFO chasers who get too close to the truth are, quote, bumped off by the Secret Service or the Men in Black. As we talked about earlier, I don't see how, why, or what the point of that is. But it's a very weird story. He puked up black liquid and then died at the age of 39. For all intents and purposes, a very healthy guy at the age of 39. Something's weird with that one. Okay, last but not least, I'm going to add one more. Because again, I don't care how long I've been going for. Let me take a look here. Oh yeah, why not? Let's keep going. Last but not least for this episode, if you're doing a ghost investigation, please be aware of your surroundings. I cannot stress this enough, people. This story is about Christopher Kaiser, who is age 29. Now, he had gathered with around 12 others on the anniversary of a crash that happened near Statesville, North Carolina on August 27, 1891 at 3 a.m. That, <clears throat> that crash saw seven carriages fall off a rail bridge into a ravine and 30 people died. Now, this sparked a local legend that the sounds of the accident, including the whistle of the train and the screams of passengers can be heard again on the anniversary of And each year, people go to listen. In fact, on the 100th anniversary of the crash in 1991, more than 150 people turned up. Now, they all made it home safe. So what happened to Christopher, you might be asking? You should be asking yourself right now. Well, 2.45 on the evening of August 27th, when a real train came around the bend and everyone started running for their lives. Like I said, there was 13 people there. Sadly... Christopher never got clear of the train and died. The police said, Mr. Kaiser was waiting on a trestle at 2.45 a.m. when a real train, which consisted of three locomotives, came around a bend. Now, a police spokesman said, During the investigation, witnesses told deputies that they were were at the site in hopes of seeing a ghost train. Twelve people, who were amateur ghost hunters, were caught on the trestle when the train rounded the bend. All indications at this point is that this is an accident. I am not saying a ghost train killed Christopher Kaiser. I am saying something at a paranormal location happened and sadly he died. If you go do any paranormal investigations, you're in some kind of sketchy area, please be aware of your surroundings. It's very easy to get caught up in the whole ghost part of things, and forget about the fact that you're on train tracks and real trains are on train tracks. It was a sad, tragic death. And I don't want it to happen to any of you guys because I don't want to have to ever tell a story about you guys on a podcast. Unless it's a good story. I don't want to talk about your deaths. Alrighty, righty. So that, that about does it for paranormal instances where people either got injured or died. One woman on her death certificate says dead from fright. Right after seeing a ghost. Some of them, I think suicide was part of it. I think an accident, tragic accident for the last one was part of it. But then there's others, which something was there. Something with glowing red eyes did appear to an inmate in the hole. The next morning he was found dead. So there's a lot of really weird tales of paranormal investigations and deaths. But from what I can see, except for the one I debunked, from what I can see, these are all true stories. From what I could find, there were true stories, except for Carl Pruitt, who is not a true story at all. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that the paranormal, the ghosts, the demons, whatever, can actually kill a person? Now, I don't mean that someone being tied up in an exorcism and that person dies. I mean, just people being around paranormal investigations and then something tragic happening and they die. Let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever shoved a knife into your own chest? I really hope the answer is no on that one. I really hope I don't get like five or six emails going, oh yeah, I stabbed myself in the chest once with a knife. Why do you ask? Don't don't stab yourselves in the knives with chest. Don't stab yourselves in knives with chests? Oh good lord. Don't stab yourself in the chest with a knife. Or stab your knife with the chest. Either one seems bad. righty. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I'm sorry I took a week off. I had a lot of bad shit. Not a lot of bad shit. I had something really bad shit happen. My car got broken into. They smashed my window. They stole a bunch of my shit just this week alone. So I was like, all right, screw this. I can't take a week off and have something good happen. So let's get right back into Paranormal Almanac. And that's this episode right here. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Remember, it's October. If you have any paranormal stories, now's the time to get them to me because, spoiler, coming up very, very soon is going to be the listener ghost stories or listener paranormal stories episode that happens every year. And like I said, I'm also going to have an episode coming up very soon. I'm probably going to make it a bonus episode, a follow-up interview with David Ullman. Find his book at ghostsofcielodrive.com. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.